Well, I invite you this morning to open your Bible back up to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6. And I love that song that we just sang that Christ has the power uh, to deliver us and will by his very victory. But we find ourselves in the believer's battle, the believer's battle. And it's in Ephesians 6 and it's in verses 10 through uh, let's read through 14, and we'll exposit through 10 through 13 today. But finally, Paul said in 6.10, Be strong in the Lord, and in the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth. Let's bow in a word of prayer and ask the Lord's help. Father, we would pray that you would take the words of this human preacher, but the power of the word of God and instill in it, in our, in our own hearts, the power that resides in us to overcome the evil one. And so Lord, give us ears to hear, eyes to see the truth that we might be the people of God in this place, but also around the globe, Father, as we touch lives, and we'll pray to that end. In your name, amen. I mean, there's no doubt that the Bible talks about the war against the world, against the flesh, and here in the text, against the devil. And we looked last week, and we noted that our enemy is crafty. He is full of evil. He is seeking to devour us, Peter said in 1 Peter 5.8. And we noted last week that he tempts you to sin, that he uh, incites persecution against the church. He accuses and slanders believers in Revelation 10. His very name is Slanderer. He brings false teachers into the church, 1 Timothy 4. He creates division in the church, and so he is crafty, he is cunning, he is deceptive. But again, as we begin the exposition this morning, and certainly as we conclude, remember our enemy has been utterly defeated at the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen? We read from that earlier months ago in Ephesians 1 that because of his resurrection and the defeat of Satan, God has given him a name above every name and over everything and all rule and authority in Jesus Christ. And so he's been defeated, the evil one, but he's not yet destroyed. We're waiting for that in Revelation 20, right? So the victory is certain, the victory has been secured, but the victory has not been fully implemented at this time. And so in the meantime, the Word of God is going to tell us to stand firm. In fact, just as I read it, 
overarching verses 10 through 20 is that word stand. It's used four times. Look again at verse 11 where it says that we would be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Verse 13, it's mentioned twice. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you'd be able to uh, withstand just with a negative prefix to it in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. So verse 14 says, stand therefore. And we noted that at least according to one man, he said you could understand the book of Ephesians in this way, to sit, to walk, and to stand. We have been seated in the heavenly places in our position. When we get to chapter 4, we're called to walk in a manner worthy. When we get to chapter 6, verse 10, we are to stand, and we're standing against Satan. And we looked at his character and his, his activity last week. I mean, the truth is, we are in an intense battle with a highly organized host of demons to keep you from living out the worthy walk. And I think it's vital in one sense that we know our opponent, that we know his tactics, that we know his strategies. In fact, as I was thinking on the context of battle. I was thinking back into that imagery of my college days where I played basketball all four years. And I do remember that much of our time, not all of it, but much of the time we spent in preparing as a team would be doing a couple things. We would be finding out in advance the weaknesses of our opponents. We would call those chalk talks, we would watch game film, we would see the statistics of the opponent. Obviously, we knew uh, how tall they were. I knew who I was guarding. I knew what his strengths was. I knew what his weaknesses were. I knew how big he was. I knew if he went right. I knew if he went left. I knew if that team played a zone defense or if they were gonna play man-to-man. In fact, in practice, the second team would run the opponent's offense, and then they would run the defense against the first team. And in in a word, our goal was to break down their strengths and to exploit their weaknesses. And so we knew as much as we could about anybody we were playing. In fact, I remember one time that one of our assistant coaches knew that the guy that I was guarding had broke up with his girlfriend that week. And I thought, how he did he know that? I just don't know. You say, well, what difference would that make? Well, probably when I was like this at the tip-off, I'd say, you've had a very tough week, haven't you? And I just, you know, trying to get in his head a little bit. But again, we were knowing, I mean, this is just sports, right? But you think of the imminent enemy that we really do have, not on the field, but in the world, the flesh, and certainly the personal presence of the devil and his host of demons. Thomas Brooks, in one of my favorite books of all time, a Puritan in Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices, wrote this. He said, Satan loves to suit men's temptations and inclinations. If they be in prosperity, he will tempt them to deny God. 
If they be in adversity, he will tempt them to distrust God. If their knowledge be weak, he will tempt them to have low thoughts of God. If their conscience be tender, he will tempt them to be precise or to be legalistic. If large in conscience, to carnal security. If bold-spirited, he will tempt to presumption. If temperous, to desperation. If flexible, to inconstancy. If stiff, to impenitency. From malice and skill, Satan proceeds all of the soul-killing plots, devices, and machinations which are in the world to destroy the great and honorable, the wise and learned, the blind and ignorant, the rich and poor, the real and the nominal Christians. I mean, he's clever. He's crafty. And so we need help. But praise God, we're in Ephesians 6, and it points the way. Scripture gives us, I call it God's playbook to defeat our enemy. He hasn't left you without resources. He hasn't left you alone. He's left you with weapons such as the armor of God. He's left you in 618 through 20 with prayer. And he's given you here a strategy to know how to defeat him and be victorious. So what I want to look at in this whole section over the weeks is that Paul's going to give us three commands to be victorious over Satan. He gives us a first command for spiritual strength, okay? He's going to tell us to be strong. Then a second command, and for the sake of a word, I'm just going to say that you got to put on your spiritual suit, which is the armor of God. He's going to use the language of take up and put on the armor of God. And then thirdly, he's going to command us to stand strong, So believer, here is the path to victory. So first, the command for spiritual strength. The command for spiritual strength. Look at the text in verse 10. He says, finally, and then be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Now he mentions that word. Every word is inspired. I don't tend to get, I don't want to get tedious with you, but he does say finally here. He's going to wrap up his entire argument, certainly out of the book of Ephesians. But I think even more particularly than doing that, I think he's wrapping up and saying finally in his plea to unity. He called the church to be unified in 4, 1 through 16. He called us to peace. He said to live in peace and live in harmony. And that the way that God is glorified in Ephesians 3, 21 is when the church is unified. And so he's been on that theme. And then he, he talked about that theme, did he not, in the home and in marriage. And he talked about the roles of a wife and a husband. And he talked about the roles of children. And then he talked about the roles of fathers in 6-4, and he talked about our conduct at work. So I think what he's doing is he's coming to this section here saying, finally, as I wrap my argument up, you and I have an enemy. We have an arch enemy. We find ourselves in scripture language in a battle. In fact, this plea here, this command for spiritual strength to be strong in the Lord may well be one of the most powerful phrases in all of the Bible. He tells us here to be strong. 
and it's put in the present tense, so continually be strong. I don't know what it is when you think about even our theme here and against our enemy, the thought would be and could well be that he's telling us to be strong because maybe by nature we would cower. Maybe by nature you think of the world in which we're living. Evidently, the Senate made a choice to redefine marriage this week, did they not? And so now they've redefined it. It still has a biblical meaning out of the word of God. And then you think about us living in the state of California and what we're up against. He's telling you believers to be strong, to not cower, if you will, to not be doubtful, to not be fearful, to not be weak, to not be timid, but you need to be and you're commanded to be strong. So as believers in the midst of a heated battle with an enemy, if you will, breathing down our neck, the one who's called the murderer from the beginning, the one who is a deceiver, the one who is a liar, the one who masquerades as an angel of what? Light. The command for you, even to go forward in this world in which we live, is to be strong. Now the question would be, I could say that, but of course we're here gathered to say, what does it mean to be strong? Do you just tell yourself, I'm strong, I'm strong? Is this some kind of chant you just repeat over and over and over? I think I've shared with you, I'd go out to the high school football practice that I went to, and at the end of every practice, I didn't play. I played uh, basketball, baseball, and I ran track, but I, I didn't play football, Um, I was trying to save myself for basketball, but I'd go out to the practice after school and then they would gather and they would have this chant and it went something like this, every day and every way we get a little better. Every day and every way we get a little stronger. And they would kind of hoo, 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 hoo around that and they would chant that, but they went one and nine that year, okay? So they were chanting that, but I don't know if they were getting better every day and a little stronger in every way. No, here the command for spiritual strength, beloved, is supported in two ways, biblically. Number one, in our relationship with Christ. Look at the command again in verse 10, the exposition. Finally, be strong, it says, in the Lord. Our strength isn't ours. Our strength is in the Lord. It's not your strength, but it's bound up, as we've discussed before, in our union with the Lord Jesus Christ. Your strength, beloved, to defeat this enemy is a command, but the command given to you is not something you're doing, not something you're chanting, not something necessarily that you're even praying by way of anxiety and repetition. Your strength comes to you in your position and in your relationship with Christ. Let me show you. Look over back at Ephesians chapter 1. I'll just take you to a few of them, okay? But he writes there, does Paul, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus in 1.1 and are faithful. Here's what I mean by this in the Lord. It says in 1.1, Christ Jesus. That's our relationship. If you're in Christ Jesus, look at verse 3, 1-3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
who has blessed us, here it is, in Christ. In other words, that's that union that the Bible talks about. And he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Look in your Bible at chapter 1, verse 4. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. So we were chosen in him. We were blessed in him. We're faithful, not in our own faithfulness, but in Christ Jesus. Look at verse 7. Here, 1-7, in him, it says that we have redemption. Look at verse 11. It says, in him, we have obtained an inheritance. And on it goes. Look at verse 13. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. And so we were sealed, if you will, in him. Look over at chapter 2, you know the power of God to transform us, that we were once walked in 2-2, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. But look down at verse 5, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together, there it is, with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and he raised us up, here it is, with him. And he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So beloved, listen here, this command to be strong, the secret of it is not our secret. It is our secret strength that's found in union with Christ. In other words, going forward, you do not need a spiritual warfare guru. You do not necessarily, though take this with a grain of salt, but I mean it, you don't need a life coach. You're in the Lord. This is what Paul is saying here, is you don't need even a Christian psychologist or a secular psychologist. This book gives answers to all things pertaining to life and godliness. You don't, and I'll just put it in warfare mentality, need even to be slain in the spirit. You don't need an extra blessing. You don't need a dose of the Spirit of God. You don't necessarily hear. It's not saying you need to speak in tongues. Your strength, beloved, residing in you is in the Lord. That's very clear. So the strength is not yours. And what's interesting about this, just look at it in 610 again. You you might not see this. It says, be strong in the Lord. And the verb there... Uh, is passive. It is not something you do. Your strength, beloved, going forward, comes outside of yourself in your relationship in the Lord. So to overcome the enemy is not your power. It is not your giftedness. It is not how long you have been a Christian. It is not if you're a mother or a grandmother or a father or a grandfather. Those things are noble. It doesn't even come after how long you've been in the ministry. So you have wisdom. No, I just walk home today. You're commanded to have strength that's not yours. It's through your union with Jesus Christ. David Pollison who was a biblical counselor recently with the Lord, wrote a book. He called it Power Encounters. And in that book, he cites some bizarre encounters 
and even Christian responses to spiritual warfare. Here's what he said. He said, Jeff believed that like Viet Cong infiltrators on a dark night, demons might slip into his personality and take over. If he let his guard down, if he failed to pray the right formulas, if he forgot to say the right words of power, spirits could and would crowd in. So his salvation and peace were ultimately his own responsibility depending on which rival power he yielded to moment by moment. To which Pallison said, Jeff converted truth and prayer into incantations. And I think people do that today. They get so off on this whole subject that you're thinking, I need the right prayer. I need the right formula. I need to repeat the right phrase. Some people rub the beads. They pray a certain way. What Paul is saying is, listen, I want you to be strong. And your strength isn't yours, praise God. The strength is in our relationship with Christ. But secondly, under this command for strength, it's also in our resources in Christ. Look at the text again. Here, be strong in the Lord. And it says, I love this phrase, in the strength of his might. Now, some of you would say, of course he's strong. He's omnipotent. Psalm 139, we understand that. So what's he getting at? It's in our relationship in the Lord, but it's in his resources. It says, in his mighty strength. How strong is he? Let me just point you back to Ephesians 1. Look in your Bible back there. And we talked on it before. But in Ephesians 1, he's praying there, is he not in chapter 1, to have the eyes of our heart enlightened, and he's praying in 118 that we would know the hope to which he called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Now watch this. And what is, here's his prayer. Do we pray for people like this? What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? There, there's that phrase, his great might. How great? Look at 120. It says that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand above, it says, right hand in the heavenly places far above 21, all rule and authority, power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. Keith, I was just thinking for a second all you got going on globally. And it's encouraging to know that our God rules and reigns over all, right? That the power, what Paul was saying, in the resurrection of Christ that raised him from the dead is the power that raised you to eternal life with the Lord Jesus Christ. So here that power that raised him is the same power that raised you. So in the strength of the Lord, but in his mighty strength. Look over to chapter 3 just for a moment. Here's the strength that lives in you. And it's interesting 
that Paul puts it in a prayer, does he not? In 3.14, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit. Isn't that good? In your inner being. So the might is the Lord's. That resurrection power lives in you. But there's a prayer here that we would be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner man. I sometimes laugh when I think of back in the 80s, they had that group called the power team I mentioned. You know, these big strong guys, they, they all look like Dominic Avila, you know, and uh, one of our pastors. But power doesn't lie in our strength. It lies in the power of God to raise Jesus Christ from the dead and he ascends to glory. And that power that raised him actually lives in you. Look at Ephesians 3.20. Do you remember right there when we turned where it says to him be the glory or go back in verse 20, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, watch this, according to the power at work in us. Do you remember when Paul even prayed this in Philippians 3.10? Remember? Finish it with me. He says, I want to know him and the power of the what? Of the resurrection. Listen, we don't know where our world's going. But I know that God's got it all under control. And you and I are commanded to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And that's why I, it's so sad when you hear some say, I just can't control my anger. I just can't help it. Or for some people, pornography is going to spin, if you will, out of control. Or they lie incessantly. Or we have a definition of sexual addicts today, or people who steal, or people who gamble. Of course, the all-time favorite was a comedian. I've mentioned him to you before many years ago. His name was Flip Wilson, and Flip used to say in his banter that behind everything he did, he said, the devil, what, made me do it. And there's a lot of people blaming a lot of sin on the devil, And what Paul is saying here is you need to be strong in the Lord. You need to recognize what John the Apostle said. And you know this one, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the, what? The world. And so here this command for spiritual strength comes through our relationship with him. It comes through our resources in his mighty strength. But there's a second command here. There's a command for spiritual strength But he's going to go on and tell us more about that. Look on in verse 11, what he says. He gives us this command for spiritual strength. Now is in this command for what I'm going to call for the spiritual suits. He says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So it's fascinating He says to put on, and he says to keep on, in essence, the full armor of God. The command here, the second one, is to put on a spiritual suit. And I think what Paul is saying to you and I is this, prepare yourself for battle. And then he's going to go on, is he not, in 
here in Ephesians 6 to describe the body armor. To describe, I could even call it the mind armor. It's going to aid you in this battle. It's going to allow you to fulfill the command for spiritual strength by putting on this armor to stand against, here it is, the schemes of the devil. I mean, beloved, the devil is seeking to exploit you. The the devil is seeking to create disunity in this church. The devil is seeking to create disunity in the home. He's actually wondering in how he can strategize and how he could come out the, the, the husband's role, the wife's role. Certainly what took place by the Senate this last week um, was done by man, but behind it, Satan himself is redefining marriage that God had, has spoken clearly to us on. And he says, listen, you are commanded to put on the full armor of God. Now, he uses that language, and he used it in Ephesians 4. He uses it in Colossians 3. He uses it in Romans 13 to put on the, the armor of light. But here he tells us to put on the armor of God. And we're going to start with that next week. I'm going to start with the, the belt of truth. But if you just looked at this here in verse 11, the command to put on a spiritual suit, I find this fascinating. You say, why so? Because on the one hand, the strength is not yours. I've said that. That in that power... God is the one who is strengthening you. And yet at the same time, you are commanded by the word of God to put the armor of God on. So beloved, there's a wonderful balance that is needed here. You must, I must be aware of overconfidence. I think I hear that phrase all the time. You got this. I got this, or you got this. I I understand the the banter of that. But you need to be aware of overconfidence. And so you've got to be careful because it's not your strength. It's not your ability. it's, It's not your power. It's the power of Christ living in you that strengthens you. So you've got to be aware of overconfidence, but then you need to be aware of not taking responsibility in your Christian life to defeat the enemy because after all, God is sovereign. Oh, listen, he's sovereign for sure, but you have a responsibility. You need to put the armor on. You need to be prepared for battle. You need to be able to extinguish the flaming missiles of the evil one. You need to not be timid and cowering, and so you have a responsibility to put this suit on. In fact, you remember when we exposited through James chapter 4, Paul gives us a or excuse me, James gives us a curt command there. You know it in 4.7, to resist the what? The devil, and he will flee from you. But you need to resist. You need to resist him. Peter said in 5.8 that he's like a roaring lion, but Peter said there to resist him firm in your faith. So you've got to be able to put the armor of God on. And as parents... With new little kids everywhere in this church, you need to begin to prepare your children early on what those pieces mean and obviously what they represent. You say, but Paul, why do we need 
okay, we need the command for strength. We need to put the spiritual suit on. But Paul, why? Look at verse 12. Here's why. For, he said, and you know this scripture, we do not struggle or wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. Listen, beloved, we wrestle not. It's interesting. I don't know if there's a reason for it, but it says we wrestle not, you read it with me, against flesh and blood, okay? Actually, in the language, it's we wrestle not against blood and flesh. But here it's translated for us, flesh and blood. Meaning this, your battle, my battle is not against other human beings. Your battle, our battle is not by, is not with government ultimately. Our battle is not against the politicians. Our battle is not even against social media. It is against Satan and his highly sophisticated host of demons that possess some supernatural power. There is an intricate evil force of demons that are wicked and that are evil. In fact, let me touch on them. Look at them in verse 12. He says against, I'll put them in a couplet, against the rulers and against the authority. First, against the rulers. That word just means first place. It just, it just means the principal ones. They occupy eminent positions. In other words, here, he's not just talking about earthly rulers. He's not just talking about earthly authorities. He's saying there is a host of demons that are operating as rulers, as authorities. In fact, that second word there, authorities, is the ideal of the power to govern, if you will, the power to act. And in some places in the word of God, it's used of government human authorities, such as Romans 13. But here when he describes rulers and authorities in the context, he has demonic spirits in mind. In fact, look back to Ephesians 1.21. Let me define it that way. Where he said on the power of the resurrected Christ in 1.21, that he is far above all rule and authority, and power, and dominions, and certainly it's not just human government there, or people, or politicians. He's speaking that he has defeated the evil one, and Jesus Christ is above all rule and authority. In fact, it says in Colossians 2, extremely clear, or 2, 13 through 15, that he disarmed the rulers and the authorities. And so he's above them. Uh, Look at chapter three of Ephesians in verse eight. Chapter three, and I'm not trying to mitigate the power, but I certainly don't want to give him a greater place. He says in 3.8 to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for the, in the ages, for ages in God who created all things that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known. Here it is. 
to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. In other words, they know that they're defeated. They know who Jesus Christ is. So so though Satan has been defeated, he's not been destroyed. And the reason you need to put your armor on is you're battling against not only the evil one himself, but against rulers and authorities. Look at that next phrase in chapter 6. In verse 12, he says against, and he uses that word four times, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. In other words, against the cosmic powers, it's the word for world, against the world powers over this present darkness. I mean, beloved, you and I know that there's a whole nother element at rule in America and around the globe. Not only with the sophisticated host of rulers and authorities, but here there's a demonic force uh, that, that we're up against, the cosmic powers, he calls it, of this present darkness. I mean, we know, according to the scripture, 2 Corinthians, or excuse me, in John 12, that Satan is called the ruler of this world, right? We know in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, that he's the God of this, what? age or world and Satan leads if you will cosmic powers of demons who hate the light and who live in the darkness and so all the more with what Keith said even this morning at our equipping hour that there ought to be some element of family worship that we're beginning right to instruct our children and to teach our children because they're not just fighting against politicians and against law they're fighting against cosmic world powers of this pre he calls it present darkness now listen should we greatly fear that well It's always going to be checked by what Christ did, right? Look back in Ephesians 5 in verse 8. Remember when he said there for one time, he said, you were in darkness. And in 5.8 he says, but now you are light in the Lord and walk as children of light. What a great truth. We once were in darkness, but we're not. And so the command here is to walk as children of light. Let your life be a worthy walk. Let it here be a walk as children that are ever moving towards the light. Just for a moment, look over just a couple pages to the book of Colossians. Here, even though there's cosmic powers in this present darkness, here's what it says in 112 of Colossians. We're giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light, we're not in the darkness. He has delivered us, 113, from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. In fact, it's interesting when you think of these cosmic powers, it says in 1 Peter 1.22 that all things were subjected to him. And so God is sovereign over our world in this day. He said, well, then what are we battling with? Well, he's been defeated at the cross, but he's not been destroyed until Revelation 20. And until we get to glory and until you get out of this carcass of flesh, 
You have an enemy, an arch enemy, who can't steal away the light that came into your life, but he would love to do anything he can with his tools and with his devices to throw you off your game. And we need to just be weary and understanding of that, leery of him. In fact, look back in Ephesians. He goes on to say, not, against, not only against uh, the cosmic powers of this present darkness, but against the spiritual forces of evil. And they're in heavenly places. He doesn't mean by heavenly places that they're in heaven. But there is a spiritual sphere of operation. It's certainly not the throne of God, but there's a spiritual, Fear, if you will, above this world where fallen demons have not conceded defeat or been destroyed, but they must be defeated. So here's what he's telling us. There's a command, number one, for spiritual strength. And in light of who you're up against, there's a command to put the spiritual suit on of the armor of God. And then thirdly, look, There's a command to stand strong in light of who our enemy is. And you can see that. Here's the command, the third command. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, verse 13, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, he says, to stand firm. And so, beloved, there is a a call to... Battle. There is a call to, to take up arms. And he said, you're to, you're to take up arms, if you will. Put on the whole armor of God. Look at verse 13. He says, because you need to withstand in the evil day. Pages have been written on the evil day. Are you in the evil day? Or is the evil day something designated in the scripture towards the future with the Antichrist with the beast and all of that, and I would think, I think he's talking both. I think we live in the evil day. The reason I think that is go back to chapter 5, and in verse 16, he said, making the best of the time, because the days are, what? Evil. We live in an evil day. And I think that evil day, beloved, is going to intensify until he is cast into the pit forever in Revelation 20. So here's what Paul's saying is you're seated in the heavenlies. But being seated in the heavenlies, he gives you an exhortation to walk worthy. But after you walk worthy in chapter 4, 5, and 6, he said, never forget that you're up against an enemy who's roaming about, seeking someone to devour, and he's devising through a host of demons strategies to find your weakness, to find the place where you have not guarded yourself well enough. Now, praise God, amen, we have Christ to protect us, that he's calling us to be victorious, that we don't, beloved, have to win the victory. The victory's already been won in the cross. It's just playing itself out on the game field. However, in the meantime, you and I have been called to stand and not fear. And you do that through Christ. Let me just encourage you a little bit. The, the theme isn't here by Paul. Be so fearful and timid. That would take away 
from what this, the writer is saying. There's probably a lot more I could say about those pieces of demons and the way they're ranked and the authority they give and the fact that there's a third of the angels that fell out of glory and came down to this earth, Revelation 12, 10, when Satan himself fell. In fact, there's questions of how many fell. Well, if there's angels in the myriads and myriads of thousands and thousands, there's hundreds of thousands of demons living in spiritual places, and the world seems to be on a collision course towards that end. But beloved, I, I say to you, though, that though that may be true, come back to the command for spiritual strength. Let me read Colossians 1 to you. I have some scriptures for you. Look over to Colossians chapter 1. Look what he said to us. And he's saying about this mystery in Colossians 1. To them God chose, 127, to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ here's our union, in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone, here's his goal, mature in Christ. That's the goal. I had a friend send me a, sad, sent me a Christmas production of a church in his area two, three-minute clip. And I watched all about why you should come to this event on December, I think it was 9th or 10th. And, and they talked about this star being there, this guy who was Beauty and the Beast, this guy who played the saxophone for someone. And then the clip said, and when you come, Santa will be there with the kids. And I, I glanced down, I wanted to make sure I wasn't watching some Hollywood production. It was a local church, and I'm just sharing with you, at least in this media piece, there wasn't one mention of the person of Jesus Christ as though that kind of production has more power than the word of God to convert a life. When Paul looked at his ministry, look at it again in 28. He says, it's him, it's Christ we proclaim. And we do that by warning everyone and teaching everyone. And we do so with wisdom that our goal here is to present every man and woman mature in Christ, and look what he said in 29. For this I, he said, toil. I think he used the word agonizomai there. I'm, I'm toiling to the point of exhaustion. Look again at 129. Struggling with all of his energy that he powerfully, what? Works within me. He's toiling. He's laboring. But he's doing it with all the energy. I love that in 29, that he, that he powerfully works within me. Listen, you have the Holy Spirit residing in you. You've been forgiven. You've been chosen. You've been seated with him. He took a dead person, dead in their trespasses and sins, and he breathed spiritual life within you. He lives within you. This is something of the power that we have. Beloved, certainly you've read through the book of Joshua. Do you remember in Joshua chapter 1 when 
God said, I will be with you. I think it's in 1.5. And he said, I will not leave you or what? Forsake you. We see that in the New Testament. It came out of Joshua. And there Moses said, be strong and courageous. Then he said it again in 1-7, be strong and very courageous. And there they were going to enter in, obviously, to the promised land. And maybe the Nephilim were there and they were frightened. And maybe as we look forward into another year, here's what we should hear. I'm with you. Isn't that encouraging? I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. And I'm telling you to be strong and courageous. Only be strong and courageous. And in Joshua 1.9, have I not commanded you? It's a good word. Be strong and courageous. And don't be, what? Frightened. Think about the world in which we live. And do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. In fact, I was thinking about that this morning in Matthew 28. We know the Great Commission. We love the Great Commission to go make disciples the key verb, right? Baptizing, teaching them to observe what? How much? All that I command you. But he gives one more command that a lot of people live out. This is a command when he says, behold. So that's a command. That's a command. Or maybe in some translation it says, look. And then he says, behold or look, I am with you, what? Always. Listen, I I don't want you to fear this topic. In fact, far from it. He's with you. He will not forsake you. And just as Joshua was commanded to be strong and courageous, the Lord by the Apostle Paul from here, from the pen to the parchment, to the church at Ephesus, to the church at Grace Church of the Valley, you need to be strong. And I'm not saying the strength is yours. You know the strength is in the Lord. The strength is in his mighty strength. Do you remember Philippians 4? 11 through 13, if you're downcast this morning, he said, I have learned that in whatever situation I am, I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need, and I can do all things through him who, what? Strengthens me. What is it that you see as a mountain right now or as an obstacle or you've been through a tough year, but Paul would encourage you so that I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And finally, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, the Lord Jesus speaking to him. Remember, he was praying three times that the thorn would be removed from him. And the thorn, people ask, probably was something healthy. And I don't think we think that. It was a thorn in his flesh, but it was a messenger of Satan that was given to Paul to buffet him. In other words, a messenger of Satan, it was a person, and he prayed that it would be removed, and Jesus said to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will Uh, Remember he said, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness that the power of Christ may rest upon me. 
for the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am what? Strong. Listen, beloved. We'll talk. We'll get into the belt of truth next week. But let's gear our minds for action. And let's look forward to the greatest opportunity that we have to serve Christ in this next generation in the coming years. What a great time to be a believer and to be alive.